This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. I want you to imagine something. You go to town one day and you see a little crowd down the street. You wonder what's going on down there. You, you're afraid something bad may have happened. You get there and there's a man standing there, has a pad in his hand, and he's talking to people, and he stops you, and he says, could, could, you, you have time for me to just ask you a question? And, and he says, could, could you tell me why you believe what you believe about God in the Bible? You say, well, you know, I've never thought about it. I've never been asked that question before. I've really never thought about it. But you know, I suppose I should be able to. You know all of us should be able to give an answer. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter said we ought to be able to give an answer to every man. And we're following that theme on getting to know your Bible, being able to give an answer to every man. We hope you'll stay tuned today as we continue along that line, giving an answer for what we believe. I'm Billy Lambert, I'm speaker on Getting to Know Your Bible, and I want to welcome you today, especially if this is the first time you've ever seen the program. And if you, it is, I want you to tell someone else about it, tell them to tune in at the same time next time we're on. Now, today we're offering a free Bible correspondence course. I emphasize free. You say, now, preacher, you know it's not free. It'll have to cost somebody something. Well, it's not going to cost you anything except a year, enough of your time to let us know to send it to you. That you might know more about the course and how to receive it, we're going to pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. In Romans, the sixth chapter, in verse 23, the Apostle Paul penned this little verse that is packed with meaning. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You, you know, one of the duties of a preacher is to tell men and women about the great love of God. As a matter of fact, I, I think that's my favorite topic, the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And how we need to let men and women today know all over this world that regardless of what's going on in their lives right now, that God loves them. I'm speaking to someone right now who may not feel loved, but God loves you. But now as a preacher of the gospel, to be true to God and to his word, not, not only must I tell people about the great love of God, 
It is my responsibility to warn men and to tell men about the danger of sin. And I'm aware that that's a taboo to some preachers today. They do not use the word sin in their sermons. But a failure to do so is dereliction of duty. If there's anything clear in the Bible, it's clear that sin exists. I think one of the most graphic descriptions of sin is found in the first chapter of Isaiah, where the prophet wrote, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a, a, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, that have gone away backwards. You provoke the Holy One of Israel to anger. And they asked this question, why will you be stricken anymore? But he said, from your head to the sole of your feet, there's no soundness, but there's wounds and bruises and putrefying sores that have not been bound up with ointment or mollified with ointment. You see, he described God's people in that day like a great big moral ulcer, a great big spiritual sore. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? And the responsibility of a preacher is to warn people about the danger of such. Is it pleasant to do so? Absolutely not. Is it necessary? Absolutely yes. I think about a passage in the book of Isaiah chapter 58 in verse 1. Cry aloud and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob, their sins. But some are as silent as a tomb when it comes to this subject. A preacher would be derelict in his responsibility if he saw someone in danger of being bitten by a poisonous viper if he did nothing to warn that individual about that danger. Would you not agree with that? But sin is like a poisonous snake to, that will fill your soul full of venom, full of poison, and cause you to be lost forever and ever. I fear that we have become too soft on sin. But sin is a reality. Sin began in the Garden of Eden when the serpent came and deceived the woman. And he said, now didn't God tell you that if you were to eat of the tree in the midst of the garden that you would die? Yes, he did. Well, let me tell you the truth. You shall not surely die. He only changed one word. He, just, he made an addition to God's word and just inserted the word not. And he said, you're not going to die. Let me read to you what Paul wrote about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 3. But, but I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The devil goes after us, and he goes after us through our minds. And like a tidal wave, of a tsunami of tsunami proportions, 
Sin has engulfed the, the entire world today. The Bible actually says in 1 John 5, verse 19, that the whole world lies in wickedness. There's none that doeth good, no, not one, Romans 3.10. Someone says, well, that's not me, preacher. I've not sinned. Well, the Bible reads in Romans, the third chapter in verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yes, there's this tidal wave of sin that's sweeping the world. Unless we deal with it in our lives, we're going to be drowned in perdition. But what does it mean when we use, the, what do we mean when we say sin? What is sin? Well, the word itself literally means in the original language to miss the mark. To miss the mark. Sin is called transgression. Actually, that's a definition in 1 John the third chapter, verse 4 that when we, we transgress the law of God, and that is sin, when we omit things in our lives that God told us that we need in our lives, that's wrong, that's sin. James 4 and verse 17. To know to do good and a failure to do good is sin. In 1 John 5, 17, we're told that all unrighteousness is sin. And, you know, Solomon said, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Unrighteousness is engulfed our world. It's, it's uh, unrighteousness it will cause our nation to be destroyed. But sin is a violation of a biblically regulated conscience. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin, Paul wrote in Romans 14 and verse 23. But to show respect to persons is also sin. James 2 and verse 9. Do you realize that sin is worse than the devil? It's worse than Satan? Because it was sin that made the devil the devil. Well, what will sin do to you? If sin is missing the mark in life, if it's failing to do what's right, if it's a violation of what God said, what will it do to you? Sin is a great separator. Isaiah 59 says, The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But then he says in verse 2 that it is your iniquities that have hid his face from you. It is a sin that, that has caused him to, to be separated from you. Sin is separate a man from God. Sin will separate you from Jesus. It did in the church at Laodicea. Jesus is pictured in the letter that John wrote to the church in Laodicea in the third chapter of Revelation as being on the outside of that church. And Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. They had locked Jesus on the outside, separated from Jesus. Sin will separate families. You think about how families have been separated by sin. Maybe one or more in the family are unfaithful to his or her companion. It separates that family. You, you think about families where there is physical abuse, emotional abuse. Think about how some families have been destroyed because 
of alcoholism in that family. They think about how families have been separated and destroyed because of the use of strong drugs in that family. The use of anything that would impair you is going to destroy you and it will destroy all of those around you. Sin separates friends. You know, the Bible says that it's a whisperer that separates chief friends. Sin separates. And the greatest thing it does is to separate you from your God. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death, spiritual death. And spiritual death occurs when an individual has sin between him and God. But sin also will make a slave out of you. It will make a slave out of you. You may be enslaved to some habit. You may be enslaved to something that's very difficult for you to overcome. In John 8, 34, Jesus said, He that committeth sin is the servant of sin. And we are servants of Satan and servants of sin. That's what sin does to an individual. Sin pollutes. In Psalms 51 and 10, the psalmist said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I believe in a clean environment, but this is one form of pollution you're not going to hear the environmentalists talking about. They, they want to talk about clean air and clean water and the like. But we need to have clean souls. Sin pollutes your soul. One may look beautiful on the outside, handsome on the outside, but on the inside, when God looks at your heart, it may be just as dark and polluted as it poss can possibly be. But sin is also a great deceiver. Listen to what is said in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened, hardened through deceitfulness of sin. Sin will harden your heart. Sin is a great deceiver. It promises it li you light and gives you darkness. It promises you health. It gives you sickness. It, it promises you freedom. It gives you slavery. I want to read a passage to you from the 32nd Psalm. As a matter of fact, I'd like to read the first two verses of this Psalm where, the, where David wrote, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. There are many things that people throughout the world do not have in common. We might not wear the same kind of clothing. We may not eat the same kinds of foods. We may have so many differences in our cultures throughout the world. But friends, there's one thing that we all have in common. All are sinners. All people throughout the world are sinners in the sight of God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned 
and fallen short of God's glory. And no individual, regardless of where they live, can avoid the fact that we violate God's will and hence we become sinners. How do you define sin? Well, John defines it in 1 John the third chapter and verse 4 as being a transgression of the law of God. That is going beyond what God tells us to do. Violating things that God has prohibited. And then another definition of sin is in James the fourth chapter and verse 17. To those who know to do good and fail to do it become sinners. And so that's a sin of omission. 1 John 3, 4 talks about a sin of commission, things that we commit, sins we commit that we should not commit. And so all people everywhere are sinners, and we do not live above sin. Every once in a while, we'll run up on, up on a person who seems to think that they are above the law. But there is no individual who is above the law. Oh, they may scheme, they may, they may do all kinds of things to avoid the consequences of their uh, uh, living and the way that they conduct themselves. But the fact is, they may try to get above the law of the land, but eventually their sins are going to find them out. And no individual is above the law of God. There have been people throughout the ages who thought they were above God's law. But they learned a hard lesson. No man can violate the law of God without paying a price. For example, you cannot even violate God's natural law without paying a price. Suppose a person were to say, you know, I think I can violate God's law of gravity. And I can defy the law of gravity. And so perhaps they try to get on a tall building and uh, that is several stories high, and they say, I'm going to jump off, and I'm going to prove to you that I can defy the God's law of gravity, one of his natural laws. But when they scoop that person up off the pavement below, someone can say, here dies a foolish person, because they thought they could defy that they were above the law, they could defy the law. And a person may think that they can violate the law of God that is laid out in His Word so far as the way we live our lives and conduct ourselves. And they may think they're above sin and above doing wrong. And they, that there will be no penalty for their sin. But they're in for a rude awakening because the wages of sin is death. There's spiritual separation from God. There's a price to pay. There is a penalty for violating the law of God. So that brings me to a question that every person needs to think about. In view of the fact that one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account of my life, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10, in view of that, what am I going to do about the sin in my life? In view of the fact that I have a, I'm a sinner and that sinners will be lost eternally unless there's something done about their sins, what am I going to do about my sins? Now I realize there are a lot of different things that people do about their sins. 
For example, there are those that just fail to admit that they are sinners. They just refuse to admit there's anything called sin. And we're living in a day where many preachers no longer use that word even in their sermons because they just don't want to make people feel bad by talking about sin. That they, they, they want to just uh, uh, imagine in their minds that sin doesn't exist. Friends, I would not be your friend. I would not be true to the, as a preacher of God's Word if I didn't tell you everything God said. Now, there's no, some say there's no such thing as sin. God says there is. There have always been people who refuse to admit their sins. Seven times in the Bible we have this expression, I have sinned. I have sinned. And those are three of the hardest words for an individual to utter because we just sometimes refuse to admit that we've done anything wrong. There are those that do not want to admit they've done anything wrong. They can have all kinds of evidence stacked against them, insurmountable evidence. And even in view of all of the evidence that is stacked against them, they still refuse to admit their sin. The one that I think about in the Bible who did not want to admit that he was wrong was the elder brother in the 15th chapter of Luke. His brother that we sometimes refer to as the prodigal son went off into the far country, wasted his substance in riotous living, and he came back home. And, it, and the elder brother saw the father had, had prepared a banquet when the son came back. And he was angry and he would refused to go in where they were making merry and rejoicing because the son was back home. And he told his father, at no time have I ever transgressed your commandment. At that point, he was breaking the heart of his father because none of us is above transgressing the law of God. None of us is above sin. So someone says, here's what I'll do with mine, Brother Lambert. I'm just not going to admit I have any sin. But I want you to, next time you look into the mirror, I want you to look into the face of someone who needs something done about his or her sin. Because you see, all of us, all of us sin. All of us violate God's law. Someone says, well, here's what I'll do with my sins. I'm just going to try to justify my sins, and I'm going to try to blame my sins on someone else. You know, it's an easy thing to find fault with someone else to justify your sins. Well, that, that's a very common thing that, that people do. That they, they say, you know, well, look at that individual. And, and, you know, if I can get you to start looking at someone else, then you're not looking at me. That's a game people play to try to justify their sins. And this game started in the Garden of Eden when man violated the law of God. And, and the, the woman blamed the serpent and the man blamed the woman for the sin that they got themselves into. You see, the blame game started a long, long time ago. Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, and while he was gone, 
the people were down at the foot of the mountain breaking one of them because they had Aaron to make a calf of gold. And so they, they tried to justify what they had done. Aaron did. Well, he said, I just threw all of this gold and stuff into the fire, and the calf came out. He was trying to blame it on nature. And then he tried to blame it on the people. Well, the people wanted it. You see, that's a game that people have been playing down through the years. Some say, I'm not going to ever admit that I've done anything wrong. My friend, that is a terrible, terrible attitude for an individual to take. We try to blame the church sometimes for our, our actions. We try to blame our parents, the way that we were treated when we were children. The, the, the best thing I could say to you is you need to grow up and you need to get over it and you need to go on with your life. Stop going through life blaming your actions on someone else. Why, it, it, there are some that want to blame killing someone on a gun. No, the problem is the one pulls the trigger. That we need to put the blame where the blame lies. And it's on the individual that commits the action. There are those that want to blame society for the condition that they're in. And they think that someone owes them something. But the fact of the matter is we cannot be successful in life by going through life and blaming our actions on everyone else. Someone says, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do with my sins. I'm just going to run away from them. Well, a lot of people have tried to run away from their sins. That's what Jonah did, you know. God told Jonah to go down to Nineveh and preach. So Jonah rose and he got in a boat, was bound for Tarshish, and he's trying to run away from God. You know what Jonah learned? That when you start running away from God, it takes you down, down, down. He went down to Joppa. He went down into a boat. And then eventually he went down into the depths of the sea. He was running away from God. I would suggest to you, and I, I firmly believe this, that there are some of you right now that are watching this telecast. And you have never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ because you're running you're running in the other direction. And you're running away from responsibility in your life. Stop running away from God. Start running to God. Start running to the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, when you start running to the Lord, He'll come running to you. In Luke chapter 15, when the prodigal son made up his mind that he was going to go back home, the father saw him a great way off and he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. Stop running away from your sins. You cannot run from God. David in the 139th Psalm said, Where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? Why, he said, if I ascend up into heaven, you're there. And he said, if I were to take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the earth, you're there. And if I were to go down into the depths of the sea, you're there. If I were to make my bed in Sheol, in the unseen world, you're there. Friends, there's just no place you can run away from God. Someone says, well, what I'm going to do with my sins, I'm just going to forget about them. I'm going to pretend that my sins do not exist. Now, you cannot, you may forget about them, and you may pretend they don't exist, and you may try to rationalize them away, 
but you can't forgive them, forget them until they're forgiven. You see, when God forgives our sins, God forgets them. Hebrews 8 and 12 says, I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So you can't forget them until they're forgiven. And God is willing, God is anxious to forgive us our sins. Someone says, well, Brother Lambert, here's what I'm going to do with my sins. I'm just going to sort of whitewash them. I'm going to, so to speak, sweep them under the rug. I'm just going to try to hide my sins. Well, you can't hide your sins. I remember when I was a boy living on the farm, we had maple trees in our yard, and, and about once a year, my dad would have me to go out and to whitewash the trunks of those trees. About three or four feet off the ground. I never knew why. I still don't know why. He had me to do that. But he just wanted it done. And I did. But you know, after that whitewash was on that tree for a good long while, it wouldn't be long until there'd be a few rains to come. And you could begin to see the bark under that whitewash. And it wasn't long until all of the whitewash was gone. You may try to whitewash your sins. You, you may try to make your sins look respectable. But the sin is still under that veneer. It is still hidden there. And you're still going to have to give an account to God for what you're trying to hide. So what am I going to do with my sins? I know this, that I'm going to, my sins are going to catch up with me someday unless I do the right thing with them. You know, in Numbers, the 32nd chapter in verse 23, the statement is made, your sins will find you out. And folks, they will. Your sins will find you out. They'll find you out in your conscience. There's been in many a person to toss and turn on their bed at night because their conscience was eating away at them because of something they had do done that was not right. Your sins can find you out in the execution of human laws. person breaks the law of God. They think they've gotten away with it, and they may go half a lifetime. And then someone does a, another investigation, and the person is caught. Their sins find them out in the execution of human laws. Our sins find us out in, in, in our children. And children are not responsible for our sins. Oh, absolutely not. And they do not inherit the guilt of our sins, but they may suffer as a consequence of our sins. Man may go out and live a, a terrible life. He may contract some kind of a, of a disease, of a narrow disease, and he may some way pass that on in, in his family. He may be given to strong drink, and because of his influence, his, his children may take up the use of strong drink. Or they may not even have enough food to eat to put on the table because of his, of his actions. You see, sin can find you out in your own children. Sin is going to find you out one day in the judgment. When we stand before God in the judgment, we're going to give an account of our lives according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. And friends, that's the most uh, uh, sobering thing to, for an individual to contemplate standing before God, 
giving account of his or her life. So what am I going to do with my sins? Well, I, I, someone says, well, I realize now that I, I, I can't get by by refusing to admit my sin. And I, I know I can't blame my sins on someone else. And, and I realize now I can't hide my sins and run away from my sins and whitewash my sins. So what am I going to do? Well, let's go back to our text. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How do you cover sin? How do you cover it? Well, the sin that we commit can only be forgiven by blood. And that's not the blood of an animal. Well, they offered the animals uh, sacrifices in the Old Testament during the Mosaical Age. But, but the, the, the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin, according to the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. So what, what are we going to do about our sins? Well, God offered a sacrifice for my sins and for your sins. And that was a sacrifice of His Son. In 1 Peter verse, chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter wrote, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. So we can't buy our salvation. I know that. We can't, we can't bribe God at the judgment because we've got lots of money. So how will we, what is, what's it going to take? Verse 19 says, here's how we're redeemed by, from our sins, forgiven of our sins, saved from our sins, cleansed from our sins, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without spot and without blemish. So it takes the blood of Jesus to cover our sins. In Matthew 26, 28, Jesus said, For this is my blood, not animal blood, not the blood of a bull, not the blood of a goat. This is my blood, which was shed for many for the remission of sins. So Jesus shed his blood. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, there were nails pierced into his flesh and his hands and his feet. A soldier came and pierced his side and out of that womb there came forth blood and water. And Jesus' blood was, was poured out, as it were, while his body was hanging up on that cross. And that blood was shed to cleanse me of my sins. That is, he became my sin offering, my sin substitute. He became the scapegoat for the sins of the whole world. John 1, 29 says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So it's going to take the blood of Jesus. You see, this is a matter of cleansing, cleansing our sins. That's how we get rid of our sins. That's what we should do with our sins. Have our sins cleansed or forgiven by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We're not going to be covering our sins by refusing to admit them. We're not going to be able to cover our sins by blaming them on someone else or any other thing that we may imagine. We have to have our sins covered by blood. Apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission, Hebrews 9, verse 22. So you see, it takes the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to cover our sins. Someone says, well, if that's true, 
How do I have my sins covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? Well, someone, some preacher might tell you this, that uh, there, there's not anything you can do because you're either one of the elect or non-elect. And so if, you're, if the, the blood of Jesus was shed for you, you'll have some kind of an unusual experience and, and you will realize that now God has forgiven you of your sins. Friends, that's not anything you'll read in your Bible. That's not the way we get in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. Someone says, well, all you need to do is just put your hand on the television screen and, and you put your hand on my hand and you just pray along with me and the Lord forgive you of your sins. You, you tell me where you read that in the Bible. Please, please tell me. Someone says, well, all you have to do, Brother Lambert, to have Jesus forgive you of your sins is just to repeat the sinner's prayer. You tell me where you read that in the Bible. What did men and women in the first century do to have their sins cleansed by Jesus' blood? Now, that's what I want to know. You see, if I can learn what people did in Bible times to have their sins washed and cleansed by Jesus' blood, and if I were to do the very same thing today, it just stands to reason that my sins would be forgiven too. See, God's law is not changed. Oh, men try to change it. Men uh, change it up to suit themselves. But God's law reads today just like it did in the first century. It's still the same. So what shall I do with my sins? How will I come in contact with Jesus' blood? Well, first of all, I must believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. I must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Peter made that acknowledgement in Matthew 16 and 16. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I must believe that with all of my heart. For as a matter of fact, in John 8, 24, Jesus said, If you believe not that I am He, you will die in your sins. But it's not enough just to believe. Is it important to believe? Absolutely. But we're not saved just because we believe. Because Jesus tells us to repent of our sins. In Luke 13 and 3, He said, I tell you, neighbor, except you repent, you're going to perish. Every person throughout the world needs to repent, Acts 17, 30. And God wants us to repent of our sins, 2 Peter 3, 9. And then we must confess our faith, as did Peter in Matthew 16, as the eunuch in Acts chapter 8. And we're to be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins, Acts 2, 38. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Friends, that's how you have your sins forgiven. Would you not do that today? I want to thank you for watching today, and in the closing moments, may I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community, and right now pick up the telephone without hesitation and call for the free Bible Correspondence Course. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God you can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at gettingtoknowyourbible at yahoo.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214.
Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible. Reach up and fall.